This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by uscfootball.com. I'm your host, Keelior, joined by Ryan Abraham and Shotgun Spratling. We have a fun show for you guys today. We're previewing USC's matchup against Arizona, the first road game of the 2020 season for the Trojans. We'll talk all about that. And we'll talk about our uh, press conferences this week with USC's coordinators, both Graham Harrell and Todd Orlando. Linebacker issues. Uh, it was interesting. Todd Orlando got candid about it, so we'll talk about that. And then we'll talk about USC as a whole what did we see on saturday is it just rust are they shaking off the pandemic pandemic rust or is this just indicative of a clay helton team what we've seen so we'll get into that uh, but as always guys you can call us 5124 tunnel our intern micah is standing by to talk to y'all and then you can tweet at us hashtag tunnel vision i believe we already have a tweet in the queue uh, if you are tweeting at us just put your straight up tweet you don't need to tag us or anything like that uh, that works uh, just fine and then we'll be monitoring your comments i believe we're live on all three platforms youtube periscope and facebook so good stuff there guys like i said it is arizona week for usc uh they didn't get to play a game this is going to be another unscouted matchup as clay helton said on uh tuesday i believe so not much film to go off of they have a new defensive coordinator ryan i guess first off as i said last week you're the factual guru on this show the guru what's your overall uh takeaway or overall assessment of this matchup well let me before i get into that sure. i just want to say like my takes on the Pac-12, there were four games. I was right on two of them, and I was pretty wrong on the other two. So the new coaches thing, my theory about new coaches, no spring practice, it wasn't going to go well, new quarterbacks. Those teams with new coaches, no spring practice, and new quarterbacks, all they both won, Colorado and Washington State. That so, was your theory this that whole offseason. So I was completely months. wrong because they look good. We'll see. Maybe UCLA is just bad and Oregon State is just bad. But you had this continuity against new, and it didn't work out so well. So we'll see how that goes. But for Arizona – wasn't expecting much this year. Uh, I think on the offensive side of the ball, you have some clarity with uh, Grant Gannell because before you had this whole battle with Khalil Tate and which one is going to be the starting quarterback with Noel Mazzoni's offensive system. I think they kind of screwed that up because it was a Khalil Tate was sort of a square peg round hole thing, and they were trying to make him fit the offense as opposed to, hey, he's a special athlete. We're going to do something that you know works for him. Uh, it's a fast-paced offense. You're going to see a lot of tempo. They've got a pretty good stable of running backs, not deep on the offensive line. Similar to USC, though, I think they like their starting five or six guys. And Gunnell's got a strong arm, not the running threat that you saw with Jaden Daniels from last week. So I think that'll be an interesting matchup for this 
USC defense that didn't do well against uh, the run, and they could run the ball pretty well, and and you know did well against the pass. So, and that's I think they're going to try to throw the ball downfield, but they're going to try to run a lot of plays and go fast. The defensive side of the ball, pretty good defensive front, I think. There's some depth there at linebacker. There, they brought in Paul Rhodes. You mentioned a new defensive coordinator from. He was a defensive back coach at UCLA, and he's running like he wants to do a three-four scheme. That what does that four stand for? Those are linebackers. I don't know if they have four scholarship <laughs> linebackers right now. That's the problem. They had you know, college schooler opt out. They had a bunch of dudes opt out, and they lost some studs on the defensive side of the ball. I talked to Jason Shear today, who you know publishes uh, Wildcat Authority, the Arizona site for twenty-four-seven sports. So we put a podcast up if you want to listen to the conversation, but. If they want to run, you know, if you have a two deep with eight linebackers, he thinks there'd probably be three walk-ons on the two deep at the linebacker spot. So they might do more nickel, which is basically like a 3 3 5 We've seen them run that before. So that's kind of something to watch. But I think this USC offense is probably going to be able to exploit Arizona pretty well. So I don't think it's a great team. I didn't pick them. I mean, I think we have them 11th in our Pac-12 power rankings for 12 teams. But, you know, who knows? It's a 14-point spread on the road. It's the first time you're getting on the road for USC, there's going to be a lot of X factors. I think the the whole, you know, Clay Helton said, we can't scout them because they haven't played yet. That is, that's minimal in comparison to you've already got to play a game and they haven't. So that's just my opinion. Shadi, <clears throat> what's your takeaway on that? Yeah, I think it comes down to you, you kind of wonder the question, would you rather face a team that hasn't played, may have some rust, and has to you know shake things off, especially after this long layoff and all the things that have gone on this offseason, or a team that – but you don't have any tape on them, or a team that has played a game, but and now you can see a little film on them. I think you would much rather have a team that hasn't played yet just – because they're gonna come out rusty, you know they gotta get used to game speed. Uh, you know it takes a little bit of time just to to make that quick adjustment there, and some other things that you kind of get adjusted to in the first game. I think it's a big advantage there, and USC might even get three straight depending on Utah's status. Um, you know this weekend, next week, if they're able to play next week, but not this week, it may be the case. Um, but as far as Arizona. Ryan talked about the offense and how they want to go tempo. Well, the easiest thing to stop their tempo is to get off the field on third down. If USC can do a little bit better job of that, then you know it stops Arizona from from getting going in their offense. Then you can't really run any tempo if you if you can't go more than three plays. On the defensive side for Arizona, Ryan talked about how there's no linebackers, and it's not only that they lost their linebacker. I mean that they they don't have a lot of linebackers. They lost their best defensive players at that linebacker position. Mm-hmm. You know, Tony Fields going to Minnesota, Colin Schooler going to um, to Texas, uh, Tech, Texas. Texas Tech, I think. Texas. He's, his brother's <clears throat> in Texas Tech, oh, okay. I believe it is. Right. Uh, they, they ended up facing off in, in a matchup, if I remember correctly. Or he may have it backwards. Either way. Um, you know, going to a Big 12 school, and they lost Scotty Young, one of their best DBs, to West Virginia. So, you know, they, they lost some quality pieces to transfer after the Pac-12 announced that it wasn't going to play initially. You know, they had some players opt out and decide to go elsewhere. So that defense is really thin. Now, if they go to a 3-4 or a 3-3-5, the big key for USC is going to be the offensive line getting to the second level on blocks. You know, they're going to be able to get good combo blocks, and they should be able to run the ball for about three yards a carry initially. Uh, it's going to be getting to that that second level. Can you pick up the linebackers or safeties that are in the box 
and then create some holes to get some bigger runs down the field. I think they should be able to do that. That's going to be the key for me watching this game is USC, you know, getting the run game going. And, you know, maybe this is a game you, know, you had the you know, running backs, Marquis Stepp and Stephen Carr, both get hurt against Arizona last year. Vi had surgery right before the Arizona game last year. Keenan Christen had a big game against Arizona, but I feel like there's motivation for all these guys against Arizona to go out there and prove themselves. And especially after this first week where, you know, they ran the ball for a pretty good clip, but there's still some big question marks about them in short yard situations. So I, I feel like the, the run game is going to want to get going. I think the running backs are going to be really motivated to, to put it on Arizona. So let's see if USC can get their run game. And even when Arizona knows it's coming, can you still run the ball? Yeah. Last year's Arizona game just decimated USC's team injury-wise. It was not a pretty sight, and that's also why they had the, the running back depth issues. It was pretty much all that game. So hopefully there's not a repeat of that. Uh, Ryan, you mentioned Grant Gannell. Uh, he was someone that we've seen, USC's seen, uh, but they also saw Khalil Tate. What does it mean for USC to at least have some tape on Grant? Yeah, I think it helps a little bit. You know what he's able to do. I mean, he's a strong-armed quarterback, and I think there's probably a sigh of relief knowing that he's not <clears throat> like, you know, he's probably as likely as Keaton Slowis is to take off and run. He can do it every once in a while, but nothing like what we saw with Jane Daniels where you're actually using that uh, as a weapon. So, even though Todd Orlando didn't see him, you know, you know, with USC last year, you know, these players have, they've seen some of the, you know, they know what he can do. It's one of the things for cornerbacks, you just have to be aware because you might think you're in a spot where I don't think the quarterback's going to get him the ball. He can get him the ball uh, down the field in, in spots like that. So I think they have to, you know, they're probably going to be aggressive like we saw in the last game. The, the corners are probably going to be on islands at times and there might be some deep balls that you got to make plays on it. Chris Steele had a couple PBUs. I think Isaiah Polamal did. They're probably going to have to do a few, couple more of those in this game because I think you're going to see some balls going downfield and it might be after a couple <clears throat> successful running plays or maybe an intermediate pass where you get a, a first down or two in a row. Maybe you tire out the corners a little bit and then they take a shot. So they're going to run fast. They're going to try to run plays. You can, you know, you can reverse that if you, you force a three and out. It doesn't matter how fast they run. But if they pick up a couple first downs in a row then it's going to put a lot more pressure on those corners. But certainly I think it helps that they've seen it before. And it's the, the, I think the offense is going to be pretty similar. They just, they're missing a couple guys like a J.J. Taylor, uh, you know, but, you know, in the, in the backfield. One of the things I said on the Family Feud podcast, plug, plug. Uh, is that, you know, Grant Gannell last year, USC had several sacks against Khalil Tate. When Grant Gannell came in, they just couldn't get him on the ground. He's a big dude. So they're going to have to, you know, really focus on if they can get in the backfield is to pull him down and create those sacks to create those long yard situations. You take away the run game, then everyone can play the pass versus, you know, him being able to shake someone off or or just stay alive long enough to, to get rid of it and get an incompletion. I think that's something that, to keep an eye on as well with that pass rush. I think this is an opportunity for USC to, to get in the backfield, but they got to be able to complete those plays as well. Shokin, you and I got to hear from Todd Orlando for the first time after seeing USC's defense. Uh, he basically said, you know, all the mistakes you saw on Saturday are just alignment mistakes. They're things that are correctable. And he was like, we'll fix it. I, I promise you that we will. How do you see that transferring uh, against Arizona. How do you see those fixes? What are those fixes and how are they made? I mean, you saw sometimes with the linebackers where you had the, the touchdown run that they had, the first one I believe it was, you know, you had two linebackers on the same side and they were able to run uh, right where the, there was no one at. So those type of things are going to get cleaned up. You know, that's first game mistakes and that's maybe even, you know, because it's a new, uh, new defensive system and first time out, 
you know, those type of things. You expect a couple of those type of mistakes, but how do you progress from that? Do you quickly fix those things or is it a lingering thing? That's the big question with it. The linebackers have to play better. That means hitting the right gaps as well. You know, there were times when USC, either in pass rush situations or um, when they were their run gaps, they just weren't filling the gaps correctly or getting out of their gaps and leaving open some openings. Jaden Daniels took advantage of it a couple times on third downs. That's something you got to focus on. Greg Canell's not going to necessarily run it, but that's just a, a continual thing that you got to work on to not have those escape paths for either a running back or a quarterback. Ryan, you uh, specifically talked preseason about just the linebacker unit because Todd Orlando is the position coach. Um, we heard a ton of praise from Clay Helton for EA Pallieno Tote. Just didn't seem like that praise transferred to what we saw on Saturday. What are you expecting from EA going forward and maybe just the linebacker group in general? I know Shotgun just touched on it, but your thoughts I'm curious about. Yeah, I mean, you know, looking at the game, you're like, wow, they just weren't making plays and you didn't feel like it. Just Shotgun put up the stats about pro football focus that they really were the two worst rated defensive players on the team and it's just like wow that's that's pretty amazing that that's you know that just what you thought you saw in real time and then you go back and watch again and like yeah they just were not in the plays a lot of the time so I do I mean I think Pagliano can play at a very high level and that some of it just seemed maybe he's a little tentative just wasn't going in the right spots and I think it you know listening to Todd Orlando today it just felt like he knows that there's things that could be fixed and it was, it was like you come into the game and you feel like, okay, this is what he's going to do. We taught him to do this. We have him to, I know what he can do. He's going to, he's going to do it. And you see the game happen, and he wasn't doing exactly what you wanted at all times. So I think they're going to work on a lot of that this week, and uh, you're going to see an improved uh, group of linebackers playing out there. So that's that's what I expect. But you know, who knows? They're going to need them. You can't just have one position group be that ineffective. It's it's hard for the whole defense to be successful when. There's all that space in the middle where linebackers are just getting blocked or they can't get off the blocks or they're, they're run out of the plays and you just have this opening in the middle. They really should be making a lot more plays. The one solo tackle between the two of those guys, that you just can't have something like that happen. Yeah. Now looking at it, rewatching the the broadcast a couple of times, I started seeing EA, there was there were time where he was getting off blocks and, and making some plays and the, the, the action wasn't, you know, in his lap basically. So I, I think there's some positives to take away from that game if you look at it closely for EA. Um, he's got to build on it though and you got to build quickly. Yeah. And, and one of the things in this defense, I thought they looked hesitant. And I think they're, they're asking a lot of those linebackers. I mean, both of the guys, I think combined, Pro Football Focus had them with 37 combined pass rushes. So, you know, those guys are blitzing a ton, at least in this past game plan against Arizona State. So you're asking them to do a lot, you know, whether it be, you know, because they're doing both, they're, they're coming forward for the run, they're going back for the pass, and then they're also pass rushing a little bit more than any other position. So, you know, let's see if they take that jump from week one to week two. You know, it looked a little hesitant in the first week. Now you, you get a little bit more comfortable. You're playing a team where you have some familiarity with them. Let's see if they take a jump this week. That's what I'll be watching. Orlando prefaced it by saying, I don't want to make excuses, but he did allude to the fact that, you know, USC didn't have essentially a spring practice to install this defense to really get comfortable with it. And then you have four weeks basically ramping up. And then you have a team who, I think the stat you said, Shotgun, was like 60% uh, pre-snap had pre-snap motions mm -hmm. and stuff where you, you're really relying on communicating and knowing your assignment. And, and yes, you had a long time to virtually know your assignment, I guess. But how hard is that for a defense to, it's your first game and, and you have to know your stuff. I mean, how basically what I'm asking is, how critically should we assess this defense off of one game? 
mean, they felt pretty confident going into it that they could install what they needed to install. Obviously, there was only one spring practice. They didn't get to do the work in the offseason that Arizona State and Arizona, too. Arizona got to do a lot of the same work because they're under the same or very similar health restrictions. So they got to do a lot of the team stuff, uh, you know, when they're on the field. And you can have your, you know, your new defensive coordinator with 11 guys on your side, 11 guys on the opposition side, and go through what you need to do. If this is the lineup, here's what we want you to do, things like that. Here's your guy, here's your guy. USC didn't have that luxury, but I didn't feel like it was an excuse per se, but you know, part of it is you could teach them and you can run through things. And how much did you actually do game stuff in practice? I think they really did the first couple of weeks. Sounds like they backed off. We haven't got to watch practice, but maybe the last two weeks they weren't doing as much of that. And, you know, you're kind of going through some of the, you know, some of the fundamental stuff, but really getting out there and playing football. Uh, you know, I think you wanted to, that four weeks, you wanted to get as many opportunities to play real football, hit, tackle if you can, whatever you need to do to simulate a game. And it sounds like there was a couple of weeks that was good stuff. And then maybe the last couple of weeks wasn't quite as good. So I think that's something that they had to do this past week. Again, we can't watch practice, but I think. Uh, you can't use an excuse, but you can also change the way you prepare a little bit to make sure these guys are going to be game ready. I think when you look at the linebackers, and, and Keeley talked about, uh, you take away the, the two-minute drill at the very end of the game for Arizona State and right before the half, I, I think it was something like 62% of the plays, they had a, they had a, either a shift or a motion, and sometimes both. You know, They would shift a, a number of guys and then send someone in motion, trying to help Jaden Daniels identify man versus zone, uh, doing some different things there. But for a linebacker, you're reading all that. You're trying to then pass it along to your teammates. I think that may have played into their hesitation because there's so much going on pre-snap that they're trying to ingest and then you know figure out what is what it means and then pass it along to their teammates. So I think with a, a little bit simpler offense against Arizona, I think they'll be able to attack a little bit more. And maybe that's why they're a little bit hesitant. And Ryan, to your point about them not practicing hard, to play devil's advocate. Now, I don't think this is what happened. Uh, because Clay Helton has shown this constant pattern of going hard for a couple weeks and then softening up for a mock game week. But USC could have looked at it this way that, hey, we, we go hard those first couple weeks. We put in extra time to, uh, to prepare for Arizona State. We know they're the top team in the Pac-12 South along with us. we got to be extra prepared for them, especially with an offense that we know is going to be a lot of shifts, a lot of motions. We're going to put extra time in developing that, making sure that we don't have any big busts. Now, they had one – it wasn't necessarily an assignment bust. The, the one touchdown we talked about earlier, but then the 55-yard the explosive play wasn't necessarily an assignment bust. That was just – I think they just didn't realize Rashad uh, White is that fast. Um but besides that, they didn't get out of place too much. They kept everything in front of them. They get, didn't give up the explosive plays otherwise. So maybe then you say, okay, we'll put extra time into that. And now this week, we can go back and be a little bit you know, uh, tougher in practice as we prepare for the rest of our schedule, knowing that it's not uh, the, the competition is not as high. And now that we don't have, face an offense that forces you to do so much before the snap. Yeah. All right, I'm actually going to go to a live caller. I believe it is Darren. He's been waiting on the line for a while, so thank you for your patience. Hello, you are live on Tunnel Vision. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Um, I just wanted to comment real quick on a stat. Colin Cowherd talks about Vegas having yards per play as their most important stat. Um, USC gave up 6.3 yards per play in this game, which isn't great. But if you take away some of the big, I think there was a 55-yard touchdown and a 25-yard touchdown. Um, that number is going to drop. 
under six yards per play down to the fives. And I'm just wondering what your guys' opinion on yards per play is in college football. And if USC can get that number closer to five, that's a little bit more telling than, than maybe, you know, the overall, um, just watching the overall game. So anyway, just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Thanks for calling, Thanks, Darren. Darren. Yeah, it's an interesting point because which team in the Pac-12 had the most yards uh, on, on Saturday? USC. Which team had the fewest yards? It was Arizona State, you know, but ASU ran a lot fewer plays than USC. So I'm, I'm not a huge, like, stats guy getting into that kind of stuff. I, I like looking at yards per play. I know. What do you think, Shotgun? I mean, yards per play is something I actually chart uh, for each individual player just to kind of see, you know, when subs come in, does the team do better or worse? So USC was actually at six yards per play this past game. I eliminate all um, all spikes and all kneel downs because they're not trying to gain yards on either one of those. But so USC was at 6.0, and, and I think the Arizona, you know, Pallier played uh, almost every snap, I believe. So, he, you know, they were at 6.4. So, you know, the turnovers were really big in this game. I think that was huge. But USC, they had the ball, and they were moving it pretty consistently. And that's part of the reason why, uh, you know, they had so many more plays. That's why the, the number dropped a little bit there. So I think USC's offense w was producing enough at six point. you got to bring that down if you're, if you're the, the defense, though. Uh, you don't want to be up in the six, above six, definitely. I don't know that that's something I look at, at, at on – per game and say, oh, well, they gave up a lot of yards per play because there's so much that goes into it. Because if you get, you know, you get turnovers in the red zone, then, uh, you know, your defense gives you a turnover in a short field, then you're not going to have a lot of yards per play uh, when you score if you, you take three plays and you get in the end zone. So it doesn't always equal out, but over the, the scheme, the grand scheme of the season, it probably is something that, to note, but I, it's not something that I look out for every game. Thanks, Darren, for the call. We appreciate it. Now, as far as USC's offense goes, and based on what we know about who uh, uh, Arizona is fielding on defense, this seems like a pretty good bounce back game, if you will, for this offense. Uh, what are you expecting from Keen Slovis? I know we saw some, his ball wasn't crisp. I think that's how we officially determined what it was on Tunnel Vision on Sunday. What are you expecting from him and maybe just this offense after they, they figure out some adjustments? Yeah, we tried to get the, the straight poop from uh, Graham Harrell. And uh, he was like, well, I'm way up near the moon. It's hard to tell. <laughs> it's like, really, dude? Like, come on. So, I don't know. We talked about this on the podcast a little bit. But we, we wanted to see why it was a little wobbly. But he was still accurate. He threw, you know, a 72-point-something percent uh just you know there was a lot of checkdowns and maybe that padded the stats a little bit but it just didn't look like we thought we'd see Keaton Slovis look uh, you know after the whole offseason and everything and going into year two knowing you are the established starter but you would take the stat line most of the time I mean he got the two touchdowns late but still he got the two touchdowns in there and converting a couple of fourth down plays that was pretty special but I think he's gonna have some opportunities to to throw the ball downfield against Arizona um, we'll see how that all kind of works out, but I expect them to be a little bit sharper. Uh, you know, the, the offensive line is going to have a test. I think if you look at the strength of, of Arizona's defense, it's probably the defensive line. I think they have to step up. If we don't see Brett Nealon and you get a Justin Dietrich, what's that's going to be? But I mean, I think they're going to have to try to, you know, balance it out, run the ball, you know, effectively, but also, you know, take some shots down the field and not just on those fourth down, like desperation plays, just kind of moving the ball a little bit more consistently. And obviously, not turn the ball over. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you look at it, you know, it, it wasn't crisp. There were balls that were high. There were balls that, you know, weren't where on the money. But then in crunch time, that's when he made some of his best throws uh, and made some of his best plays overall, you know, drawing the defense off, off sides and then knowing that you got 
uh, two wide receivers just throwing up, giving them a chance. That's a you know a really good play, even though it's not necessarily a great throw. Uh, one thing to take away though is he wasn't as crisp as we've seen in the past. But you take away the batted balls, you take away the drops, and you take away the throwaways because those aren't those are pretty much out of his control. He's not trying to complete a pass on the throwaway. Uh, so he was forty of forty six, I think. So it's not like he missed a lot of throws. You know, they weren't exactly in the it didn't have his best placement, but he still was connecting with his receivers. And even though those six that uh, there, you know, there were a couple of them that were screen passes and stuff. Um, so he was fine. He's going to get better as the season progresses. I think the offensive line will continue to get better. There were a couple of communication errors that they need to clean up. Um, but I think it comes back to the run game. If you can get the run game, whether you have to throw to run or if you can run to throw, either way, they just got to get the run game going more consistently and actually give the run game a chance. It just seemed like they waited so long until the second half when you know uh, Arizona State was dropping back and being really soft to be like, okay, now we can run it. When they could have ran the ball earlier, besides of besides just trying to do it in their short yard situation. Yeah, and I'm not sure you're going to see Arizona drop back into like a, you know, seven or eight man coverages. You might. I'm not sure, but we. I don't think you're going to see that. So you might see a little bit more effective passing game from Slovis too. We got to look for anyone, any opponent USC faces going forward. It's not that you need that. Drop eight is the only way to stop USC, or is the only thing that you should do to stop USC. But you should be putting a, a heavy dosage, dosage of it in to your game plan because until USC proves that they will stick with the run game, it's the most effective way because you can't guard those receivers man-to-man. And if you try to blitz Keaton Slovis, he was 7-7 seven of seven in this game against the Blitz. So you bring pressure, they're going to beat you. You try to go man-to-man with, you know, with a couple guys over top, they'll beat you underneath. So the best defense right now is a zone coverage and force USC to make play after play and not make mistakes, and that's what Arizona State did. It wasn't that Keaton Slovis was throwing really bad, you know, into bad windows or anything like that, which was the BYU game and the Washington game for Matt Fink last year. It was just that they were forcing USC to dink and dunk and work their way down the field, and we'll see if USC can do it for a full drive. They did it a couple times, but USC will get in their own way enough that I think it's the best game plan for a defense. So if you don't see that in a game plan, it's a a bad game plan in my opinion. We have multiple questions about Brett Nealon. Uh, we will get the final injury update from Clay Helton on Thursday, or at least our final injury update. Shotgun, what are you expecting if Nealon can't go from Justin Dietrich? I know Ryan and I talked about it earlier this week. He's a feisty guy. Uh, people always say he's a mean guy on the field. What are you expecting from him? And what did you see from him when he did uh, spell Nealon? Yeah, I mean, he came in for Nealon at the end of the game, and USC you know, had their most successful drives. I don't think that was necessarily because of, of Justin Dietrich. Um, but it was, it was there. He's got some experience, which you feel comfortable with. He had to come in for Nealon last year when Nealon got hurt against Arizona State. Uh, in, in that, that game last year, he started the next game or two, I believe it was. So mm-hmm. I, I think that you feel comfortable with that. If you had an injury, you had someone go down, that's your most, uh, you know, your most consistent d- direct backup on the offensive line. So I think they feel comfortable with Justin Dietrich. He's made the calls already, having th- that experience last year. So I think they feel okay with him there. You obviously would like to have Brett Nealon back because they have a lot of faith in him making the calls up front. But you need to get him healthy and get him back so that he doesn't get pushed back on some of those short yard situations and whatnot. So Justin Dietrich. He, he's a smaller guy, but he's a tank in there. You know, he's gonna, he knows leverage. He plays with leverage great. So he gets underneath guys and pushes them back. So I expect that, that they'll be perfectly fine at the center position if Nealon's not able to go. 
We've reached the half hour mark pretty much. So I'm going to jump into questions. If you're watching and you have a question, uh, it helps if you put question and put your question because then I see it faster. Uh, Oscar brings up a good point in his question. He says, why does Clay Helton teams or why do Clay Helton teams always have trouble in their first road game? Isn't it more that Clay Helton teams have trouble just early in the season in general? I mean, Western Michigan, UNLV, just letting teams that shouldn't be in the same zip code hang around. Um, sure, but you lose. Utah, Stanford. True. But BYU. BYU. Those teams are much better than Washington. I mean, Western Michigan and uh, UNLV, and they Western Michigan was within four points. Sure, but that's not the question. <laughs> I, I think it just becomes that more much more difficult when you play a good opponent. I just think they're not good at the beginning of the season. Uh, that they were able to beat Arizona State, you know, it wasn't pretty, but they were able to do it. That's, you know, that's kind of surprising a little bit with the, their track record in those opening games. Look at Alabama. Um, but I think that the road game, it's a little bit different. It's going to be different this year with the, the COVID protocols and the differences that they're going to have as they travel. Um, but I don't think that it's necessarily that it's because they go on the road. I think it's just they struggle early in the season. Yeah, I think there's there's something to that. But, you know, we, we've seen sort of the same pattern kind of over and over again. And, you know, when you see coaching changes made, but still the same issues kind of on the team, you kind of wonder. And I get, I get it. Fans are kind of wondering about that. There's no time to start slow. And no. we said that about Arizona State. USC still started slow. Miracle come back and get the win. So it, it worked out. I don't. I mean, you're probably going to beat Arizona on the road, but do you want to look good or is it going to be like a ho-hum sort of performance? And I kind of think it's going to be like USC wins, but it might be by like 7 or 10 and kind of a ho-hum performance where you're like, eh, you don't, one of those ones you just don't feel very good, which are pretty common uh, that we've, we've been around lately. But yeah, I think... There's going to be some struggles just going on the road, even though there's no fans and everything. Just that kind of travel. They take a limited team. Like Clay Helton said, they're taking like 74 people. They're not bringing like student managers and stuff on the plane. There's there's limitations of what they're going to be doing. So, I'm you know, I think they're going to win the game, and I'm not expecting like it to be uh, this complete blowout or they play like gangbusters and just play really well. It, it, they're taking a limited travel uh, party, but it's, it's not going to be a limited roster. It's going to be – that's the same travel number – uh, that they would have in the previous seasons, which if they can blow out a team, you, you wish it was at home so that you have you know the the bigger roster and you can you know get more guys an opportunity. I think they that they have a great opportunity to blow out Arizona. Um, I just don't think the Arizona defense is very good with all the players that they lost. Maybe I'm surprised, um, but I, I think that if they can put some pressure on Grant Gannell and actually get him to the ground, I think it'll be a blowout. Now. The question becomes, does USC start to blow them out and then maybe let them back in like we saw, was it uh, three years ago or so, um, when it was, I think, 24 nothing and it ended up 24-20. So you never know with USC, and maybe that's part of the being on the road. Yeah, but you, know, you need to have that killer instinct, not only for this season to be able to you know, show the college football playoff, maybe, uh, if there ends, it ends up being a slimmer of hope later in the season, hey, you know, we started we started dominating teams after that first week when we got by. Um, but also for the future, get those younger guys some playing time. You know, you would love the fact that the offensive line we, we talked about Nelon, but the offensive line depth in, as a whole is very thin. You know, if anyone else goes down, you felt confident with Didich coming in behind as the sixth man, but after that, you go, uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, so get those young guys some playing time. That'd be great. You know, the, the Liam Douglases, but also the true freshmen, you know, you would love to get them 30 snaps in a game. That'd be wonderful for, for USC. But that hasn't happened in the last few years. Mm -hmm. we got a Periscope one sure. uh, from M. Mosley 30. 
What was happening with Arizona State right with Arizona State's right tackle? He was moving early most of the game, never called. I thought I saw that on the USC side a little bit too, where there was just one of the tackles would kind of just move early. It seemed like a common thing that they weren't calling. But Shaka, what did you see in the rewatch? I didn't necessarily see the USC tackles. I, didn't, I wasn't maybe I wasn't looking for that, but I definitely saw the, the Arizona State's right tackle. And if they're going to let you get away with it, go for it. Now it wasn't an egregious jump. But he was basically timing the snap and going right just before the snap was off. So if you can get that extra advantage and the refs don't call it, you take it. It's the same as, you know, a defensive holding, uh, you know, in the secondary. If the refs don't call it, it ain't a penalty. <laughs> we have a question from, sorry about that. And also the Pac-12 refs, you know, they, there's no True. telling what they will or will not call. Jasper Smith says, uh, will we see some other linebackers get some snaps considering the lackluster performance against ASU? Shoddy, I thought Todd Orlando had an interesting uh, quote about rotation today. Yeah, he basically said, if you put in the work in practice and you show us in practice, then you'll get some opportunities in the game. Um, so that that's going to be the difference. The last game, you had Kanai Malga came in for four snaps. Now, is he fully healthy? That's still a question we don't know. They rotated a little bit more. Uh, they rotated some on the defensive line with, with a couple of spots with Marlon Tuipolotu and Nick Figueroa. And then they rotated a little bit with Greg Johnson and Max Williams. And then in and out with Hunter Eccles, depending on the formation, the, the defensive packages they wanted to use. But wasn't a ton of rotation besides that. You, I actually expected a little bit more. It was kind of slimmed down, and maybe that's – because it's Arizona State and probably your toughest game of the season. Maybe it expands a little bit this week. We'll see. And, and the results that you have on Saturday ultimately determine what you do the next Saturday. But, but Todd Orlando said if you're not doing it during the week, then you're not going to get those opportunities on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Ryan, we had multiple questions about your attire tonight. They were My wondering attire? if it was coordinated of U of A question, uh, colors. Oh, God. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> no, yeah, this is kind of like, yeah, if I like, this is my flannel shirt. It's cold outside, people. It's cold. Yeah, like I've been, I try to do my workouts early in the morning and like I'm in my driveway and it's cold. I did like the sand dune this morning and it mm. was like put on layers. So, like, then I come home and I'm cold. And so, when I go outside, I'm like, oh, what's warm in here? So, I just grabbed the flannel shirt. So, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> that was not, uh, not looking to go for U of A colors, but, uh, you were just feeling festive. That's what. Yeah, I just try to be warm. I don't know, like. <laughs> Susan on Facebook uh, said, what can we do? What can USC do about turnovers? How do you increase ball security? You got to hit in practice. I mean, that's the big question. Everyone talked about physicality during this fall camp, but if your older veteran guys come out and then fumble the ball, you go, did you really? Uh, I know Vi was out for part of, of camp, so maybe he didn't get those hits. His was also wasn't necessarily a hit that it caused yeah. it. Um, his was just – it was a dumb play, basically. And he admitted that uh, when we talked to him earlier this week. You don't stretch the ball out on first and goal, especially in the first quarter. Um, you know, it's got to be a fourth and goal situation or the game's on the line is what he said the coaches tell them. So that was not a very smart play. I thought Tyler Vaughn just wasn't aware of his surroundings. He should have probably known that Chase Lucas could have been behind him. Whether or not Chase Lucas was there, he should have known that he could have been because of the play call. Um, and then Marquis Step, you know, there was, it was a, probably a pretty good play by the defender, just kind of ripped that one out. But you, you got to cover it up. You know, fourth and one, all you need to do is get that first down and then cover it up. You know, so, you know, he got, I think, eight yards on the play. So what, the other seven yards, you should have had both arms on the ball. It wasn't necessarily the case there. So you got to take care of the ball better. 
I'm officially putting us on rapid fire. Shadi, you are testing the limits of your answering time. So we're in rapid fire now. Uh, Brian on Facebook brought up a topic that I think a lot of people have kind of brought up here and there. And I know our own Dan Weber uh, used to talk about this last season. He wonders if Pal EA, EA is not an inside linebacker. He said he's, uh, Brian said on Facebook he's more suited as an outside linebacker. What are your thoughts on EA's maybe? Could he change positions? I mean, he looks like an inside linebacker to me, but you're, you're right. Like, if he's not able to – I mean, there's a lot of places you can go. Shotgun talked about your pass rushing, you're dropping back into coverage, you're supporting the run. If there's a lot of – you know, there's a lot of tasks on your plate and you're not handling well and it makes you – you know, you're worried about this, you're worried about that, and you're not doing any of them right, then, yeah, maybe you have to move them somewhere else. But that, I think Todd Orlando knows linebackers pretty well. And if that's the case, if he feels that way, you might see something like that move. I, my guess is he's going to stay there, but – um, that's just my thoughts. You got to see him just being more full speed, full speed ahead, not not hesitating. That was the biggest thing. I think he was just trying to process so much stuff. Even when he was blitzing, at times it felt like that he, he just wasn't going, you know, all out. We saw glimpses of it, especially his freshman year, when you know they would put him in and say, "Hey, this is your basically this is your one assignment. Go do it." and maybe rush the quarterback, and he would just take off and blitz it. And if he got out of a gap, he got out of a gap. Uh, those are things he has to learn and, and put to add to his game as he goes along. But he looked very hesitant in this past game. So uh, maybe it's just the first game in a new defense, but we'll see if, if he progresses. That's one. He might be – there's been questions about who's the X factor. Uh, that might be the, the, the big one for USC. Does he take that step forward or not? Mm-hmm. Brandon on Facebook says, why has mobile quarterbacks been USC's kryptonite? I feel like ever since the national championship game against Texas, uh, we've been cursed. USC, uh, ever since, can never really defend against them. They're not easy to defend. That's part of it. I mean, it's just, it's like a, you know, it's like, why do big home run hitters always hurt us with the long ball? Oh, because they hit home <laughs> runs. They're like, that's, you know, really the thing. It's, it's, it's not easy. I mean, it's a, it's a difficult thing. You saw Johnny, Man Johnny Manziel go crazy over a really good Alabama defense and, uh, I think, especially when you're not doing some other things well on defense, you can really get exploited by uh, a running quarterback. And, you know, we saw Jaden Daniels do that. But in the game against Arizona State, they really limited. I mean, he threw for less than 50%. Uh, you know, he had 135 yards and 55 of them was his little dump off to the side, um, which I think the linebackers should have made it over the, the sideline at some point shotgun. That really kind of like, at that point, he ran down the sideline. I thought the linebackers could have got there on that play. But yeah, I think it's just hard to do. It's not like that's it's not like everyone else handles running quarterbacks well and USC doesn't. It's just, it's a really difficult play to defend if you can get a quarterback that can take off and run like that. Now there's risks. The quarterback might get his head blocked, you know, knocked off and he's, uh, he's out of the game. But you know, if you're an effective runner and you're not getting hurt, you can really hurt a defense. I mean, USC with Jaden Daniels, they decided to make him one dimensional. They made him, you know, they, they said, Hey, beat us, throw on the ball. We're going to blitz you to try to force you to throw it quickly. Um, and he, he struggled with it. He was 5 of 15 for 55 yards when he threw the ball beyond three yards past the line of scrimmage. That's not good, in case no. you're wondering. Um, so that's an effective defense. Now, it, it's not great that he ran for 130 yards. 
if they stop the rest of the run game, then you, you, you let the quarterback scramble and you take your chances. The problem was letting the, the, um, your, your normal run game get going and the, the ability that Arizona State was able to get there, the yards they, they ground up there. That was much more concerning than Jane Daniels getting out. Now, on third downs, maybe you change something up and use a spy or something. Uh, you know, the Marlon Tui-Pelotu play with, on third and nine was a huge play because it was the same play Arizona State had run. Uh, a drive earlier or two drives earlier and picked up a third and long. Um, so him making that play got him off the field. You know, those are the type, sometimes you need your, your big time players to make big time plays. And that was one of them, but uh, it was something schematically take a look and see maybe if you want to spy a little bit more in the future, they started bringing Todd Orlando told us today, he said they started bringing six instead of five, because if they have five blockers, you know, you're, you're forcing him, uh, you know, you're taking away that extra alley for him and forcing him to get rid of the ball quickly. We have a question from Andrew on YouTube who says, what's the main difference between last year's defense and this year's defense? I just think there, there's so much pressure coming. Um, I, I, I think every single person on the field blitz, maybe Isaiah Polamau didn't. To, can, I'm not sure about that as far as a pass rush blitz. I know he got the reverse, uh, so maybe that was a blitz too. Everyone else, I mean, the, the linebackers had a combination of 37 uh, pass rushes, that's a ton for those two inside guys. They brought Max Williams on blitzes. They brought Greg Johnson, Talanoa. They brought corner blitzes. There was pressure coming from everywhere. And that meant sometimes dropping Nick Figueroa or Drake Jackson back in coverage. They did a lot of different things to try to confuse Jaden Daniels, which might have played into the fact that he struggled so much throwing the ball beyond three yards. Yeah, they did. I think they were a lot more aggressive. We saw Clancy Pendergast's defense be aggressive probably more early in his tenure than later. Like they sort of backed off some of that, I think later on in uh, the last couple of years. Jeff says, best unit other than the wide receivers. As Are we talking about just the Arizona State game, or are we refer referencing overall? Let's just say overall for kicks and giggles. I'm going to go secondary. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think you, you Todd Orlando has trust in those two cornerbacks to, to man up and, and lock down people, Chris Steele and Elijah Griffin. And your two safeties are, are dynamic players that you can use in the box or over the top. So I, I think the secondary is definitely that group. For sure, I'd agree. Abrima says, any updates on Corey Foreman? USC really still likes him as a player, and they want him to come to USC. Is that an update? Uh, he's actually not going to LSU. Obviously, they have a COVID situation. He was scheduled to go there for an unofficial visit. So that it doesn't help USC, but it doesn't hurt them, that's for sure, that, that he can't make that visit uh, down to Baton Rouge one more time. I think they extended the dead period even more. So mm -hmm. it's yeah, just, so, it's gone so on forever. 2021 athletes will actually not have official visits this year uh, because, really? you know, they they started the dead period, I believe, in February, and there were a couple, I think it was 12 days, I think Greg Biggins or Brendan Huffman tweeted out that there was in March for players to, to go do things. So if they didn't get anything done then, it's going to be beyond signing day when uh, – whenever the dead period is finally lifted. So those players will not take official visits at all. Crazy. Um, combining two questions, David on YouTube says, does Todd Orlando's intensity translate to better play? And then uh, Samuel on Twitter says, keep seeing Elijah Griffin's comments about increased physicality at practice being brought up, but those were made during the first two weeks of camp. Have you talked to any players about the physicality in practice after the start of mock game week, or has it gone down as usual? Unfortunately, we, we don't get a chance to talk to a lot of players outside of the direct pressers. Yeah. Um, we've only gotten a couple interviews since then, or individual interviews. Um, so haven't really brought that up. It's, it is a good question, and, you know, whether the 
you know, dropped off after my game week or not. So the the play on the field on Saturday suggests that, yeah, they, they brought it back. And that, that plays out in the fact that there were some angles that weren't great, tackling angles, mm-hmm. and then also just the turnovers and the fumbles. you got to be able to protect the ball a little better. So if you take more hits in practice, then you're used to more hits. Mm-hmm. And I think Todd Orlando's intensity does help the team. I think that's mm-hmm. it's just – I think it's a good attitude to have. So that's – I don't think it's something that's hurting him. I think it definitely helps. I mean, just in my mentions alone on Twitter, people were happy that he was at least candid or at least somewhat honest with the linebacker evaluation opposed to like some things we've heard in the past. So at least that is good. If you're you're realistic, at least you can address issues. Yeah, like if you're you're glancing over a problem, you're not saying, I'm fixing this, we're fixing this, we're fixing this. Like you're really not admitting that there's a problem. If you're saying we're gonna fix it, we're gonna fix it, we're gonna fix it. You at least know there's a problem. There's a problem. <laughs> yeah. Which we haven't seen people admit there's a problem. Well, you know, we won the Pac-12 that year, so can't, the, the lines can't be that bad. It's like, so you just kind of ignore the problem. And then a season a- later, you're like, of course it was a problem. We're fixing it right now. And you're like, yeah. what? What? <laughs> Brian on Facebook says, uh, was it just me? Or did Elijah Vera Tucker look like he was a lock, a top 10 lock pick at left tackle on Saturday? It's just you. No, no. He looked good. He, I mean, first time playing left tackle, really. I thought he looked great out there. I mean, USC had over 60 dropbacks, and Elijah Vera Tucker gave up zero pressures. So he, he looked great in, in pass blocking and, and getting his pass sets down there. He still has some work to do. Uh, you know, he didn't look great in the run game this game, which is normally his forte. There were a couple plays where I love seeing him out beyond the numbers pushing guys, but just in, and maybe it was just the first game. Um, you know, dealing with a defense they hadn't seen before on tape, but uh, you know, he is a guy that. I think he's only going to boost his draft stock this year, especially if he plays like he did in his pass sets uh, on Saturday. Now, I will say, Tim Dreveno told me that most NFL scouts that he talks to, the most NFL personnel, still see him as an inside guy. Now, can he change people's minds? Sure. But they see him as an interior offensive lineman at the next level. Yeah. The versatility is going to help. I mean, if yeah. they still want Never him hurts. as a guard, he graded out really well as a guard. He played well as a guard. He's like, look, and he played tackle his senior I mean, you know, junior year two or whatever. And, uh, did really well, so yeah. And one of the things that Drevno told me, he said, by him going out to left tackle, NFL scouts may see him a little bit differently, uh, or be able to view him a little bit differently because they'll see the the footwork that he has. Because sometimes when you're an interior line, uh, depending on the the type of offense you're in, you know, you get bunched up and you don't get a chance to show how you can get outside and block some guys and do different things. So he might be able to show a little bit more than than scouts have seen just by playing left tackle and being, uh, you know, on that island kind of. Good point. Adler on YouTube says, any reason why Keenan Kristen is not taking punts or kickoffs? I think they just have more confidence in Amon Ross St. Brown and Tyler Vons. I think those guys are your sure-handed two dudes, and you're going to trust them. Now, maybe Sean Snyder makes some changes as the season progresses. We saw him insert Elijah Griffin to maybe try to get a little bit of a spark in the second half uh, as a kick returner. So maybe you'll see things differently. Maybe if Gary Bryant gets healthy, maybe he's a guy that gets in that mix. We had a question about that. They said, will, will we see Gary Bryant this week? He was mostly on the exercise bike, right, on the sideline this past week? That's the only time I saw him. You know, I wasn't necessarily looking for him on the sideline, but the only time I did notice him was he was on an exercise bike behind the bench. So it seems like the hamstring is still staying a little tight, at least, and trying to keep it loose. I have a question for the audience. Okay, this is real curious about this, specifically for YouTube. We see when we're doing a YouTube show, by the way, hit likes and hit, uh, you know, hearts and all that stuff. Throughout the show on YouTube, it actually grows. Like we have a, you know, the audience picks up. It's not, you know, it starts out the going algorithm. live. 
Is that the algorithm? Like what? Yes. So if you've joined lately, why? What happened? You just you see it? You're like if you join in the middle of the show, we had someone was, new to find the channel in the middle of the show. So thank you yeah. for joining. But there's a lot. But it's like it's a steady growth throughout the show, which is just interesting. It's so. an algorithm thing, Ryan. All right. We can discuss after the show. We'll discuss after. <laughs> I just want some of the peeps to go on there and say, hey, that's why I joined the show in the middle. Sure. How about that? Uh, Shadi, we had multiple questions about ITS and his involvement in the game. I know you have the stats on that, so I'm going to throw it to you. Uh, yeah, ITS played, I believe it was 11 total defensive snaps. He was on uh, the punt return unit and I think the punt coverage unit as well. Um, he subbed in for both Chris Steele and Elijah Griffin at different times. Uh, so... The, the question is, do they have enough confidence in him? He is coming off a knee injury. When I asked about him last week with, to Clay Helton, you know, he brought up the knee injury, which tells me that he's not necessarily in that mix. That he's not going to be a rotational guy because that's what I was wondering. You know, is it going to be a three-man rotation or is he just kind of the backup for both of those guys? And it seems like that might be the case. Chris Steele left right before halftime for a few plays. Um, I don't know if he got rolled an ankle or whatever it was. He came back in the second half, but ITS stepped in then. Elijah Griffin left for a few plays in the first quarter, and ITS came in then too. So he's, he came in at both uh, or for both uh, of the other cornerbacks. Uh, Ryan, you're getting some answers. I don't know if you're I seeing saw, I'm, I'm just like looking at it. Yeah, there's a lot of people going on there like, dang, al algorithm. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, Coley said uh, – it's time delay here in Iowa. Like, I don't think that's it, guys. That's what you're <laughs> it's <saying>. time delay. <laughs> um, Mark says, has an air raid offensive team ever made it to a national championship or playoff game before? I mean, you look at the the, the Lincoln Riley Oklahoma teams, and there that's pretty much an air raid. Now, each air raid iteration is, or each spread offense iteration has its own wrinkles and whatnot. Um, as far as a strict Mike Leach air raid, no. But also, no one runs a strict Mike Leach like Mike Leach. Yeah. Like even Graham Harrell runs the ball much more than Mike Leach and mm -hmm. uses the running backs in a much different way. But I would say if you look at Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley, what he's done, I would call that an air raid. I mean, like the people that are talking about that, like what did LSU run? Or what is, you know, what's True. Alabama running Great. now? Are you seeing, like, is Alabama running like fullback, two tight end? Like, no. They like Nick Saban changed what he does. He's like got spread it out, get an offense that scores a crap load of points. And, you know, you're going to put your defense in a bad position. And he's still a defensive guy, but he knows that's the way college football is now. So you're watching the Masters. Like, do you want to play? No, you want you want Bryson DeChambeau bombing drives. Not, like, that's just it, the game is changing. You know, you're hitting the ball further in golf. You got to spread the ball out. And I'm sorry if you want the fullback and student body left, but that's nobody does that anymore. Everyone in the playoff is running some kind of spread thing. It's not power football with a fullback and two tight ends. Now, can you have those elements in a goal line situation? Yes, and that's maybe something that you would like to see USC occasionally, just every once in a while. I would love to see Brandon Peely as a fullback, I'm just saying, uh, when he gets healthy. But it's, it's just kind of the way of the game. And even Nick Saban said this year that you don't win games with defense anymore. you know, you got to score points to win games. Saban's saying it. That's when you know. I guess I'm not of the generation, or I'm only – 25 so what's the appeal of of getting angry about football evolving like why why would one be cranky about that i guess is my question I mean, you, you've seen success so like if you grew up and you watched the the teams of the 70s and there is something to be said for you're pushing a team around when you're running left you're sure. running right you are in, you know enforcing your will on an opponent there's something appealing about that for sure yeah, yeah, it I worked for us in the past but the game has changed. Like it's just not, you know, it's it's just not played that way anymore. You got a Nick Saban guy. He knows you have to like 
score lots of points. Like they're, you know, they're putting receivers in the NFL. I mean, in the NFL all the time, they spread the ball out. They're throwing it all over the place. They still run the ball too, but it's, uh, you know, it's it's not the the football of old, and that's not what USC needs to get back to. It's it's you have to advance. I think they're running a good scheme. It's not Mike Leach's air raid. Uh, I'm sorry if you think it's gimmicky, but it's college football now. That you're doing things like that. Also, just people's opinions don't evolve that quickly. Um, yeah. I had Jay Adande as one of my teachers at USC, and I think he said basically whatever music you're listening to when you're 30 years old is basically what you'll listen to the rest of your life. Um, and Ryan, you, can you confirm? Pretty much, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. and, and so you know, whatever you grew up with, that's kind of what you you're nostalgic about it, um, and you think that's probably the best way, unless you've been proven. You know, your team has done something different. It usually takes your own, you know, a vested interest in a team and them doing something a different way, whether it be baseball with a money ball approach or, you know, analytical approach, you know, those type of things before it happens for your team and you don't believe in it. Oh, shocking. Coming in here with logic. That's fine. <laughs> uh, Brandon on Facebook says, what's the biggest threat on Arizona's offense slash defense that could cause USC issues? I mean, I think it, you if they're going to do well, Grant Cannell is going to have a good game. Uh, Brightwell's a good running back, too. I, I think they're going to have to score some points, but also control the clock a little bit on USC. I just feel like when the Trojans get the ball, they're going to be able to score. Will they be able to force some turnovers like Arizona State did? And you get a lot of empty drives with a bunch of yards and no points. Uh, but if Arizona is able to control the ball a little bit, too, keep USC on its heels, Hit some big plays. I mean, yeah, I, th I think you got to. It's got to be some kind of balanced attack from Arizona um, to to you know have a chance you know, to be able to hang with USC. USC is a more talented team, but you know they're going to play Arizona Road. They got some talented guys. They they practice every day too. So uh, if you don't come out and play well, someone else can punch you in the mouth, and that could happen in, on Saturday. As the saying is, they have scholarship players too. Yes, or they're on scholarship as well. Uh, so I think the tempo is something to be a little bit concerned about as USC fans. But Gannell is going to have to have a big game and create some turnovers on the defensive side. People are so earnest in their responses to you, Ryan. It's great. Thanks for watching, guys. We love you. Um, Sean on Facebook says, even though Orlando doesn't have the resume of maybe Clancy Pendergast, will he be able to recruit more five stars? Yeah, he's a better recruiter for sure. Yeah. So I think that he's going to be, you know, you're, he can sell it where Clancy Clancy Plendergast. Hmm. <laughs> Clancy Pendergast. Clancy Pendergast Clancy. was not a recruiter. He just wasn't going to be selling things like that. And I think, I mean, Orlando was a hotter name in college football as far as assistant coaches go than, than Clancy was too. So, um, I mean, you know, Clancy was you know, in a Super Bowl and everything, but uh, Orlando, as far as like wanting to be hired, you know, by other programs, uh, Orlando was on a lot of people's lists more than Clancy Pendergast was. And I think it goes back to personality with recruiting. You know, Orlando is a high energy guy, and even if you want to compare, you know, um, Clancy with Monty Kiffin, you know, Monty Kiffin had a lot of energy as well. Even though they both had NFL backgrounds and both had been in Super Bowls, Monty Kiffin brought a lot of energy, and I think that helps in recruiting much more than Clancy, who wanted to be kind of hands off with recruiting, just wanted to focus on the X's O's more. Jared on YouTube says, uh, "Do any of you does any of USC's freshmen have hype?" Defensive freshman, he specifically wanted to know about. Uh, not necessarily. I mean, Cody Tule, Tule did play some this this game. He played a couple snaps. He actually was in coverage for about half his snaps, which I thought was interesting uh, when they put him in at defensive end. Uh, Kobe Pepe, I think, is going to be good down the line, um, but but not necessarily. I don't think any of those guys are going to be impact players this year. Andrew says, "Why has Kevin Sumlin underperformed so far?" 
It's a good question. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I said even before the show when I came in the studio that I'm surprised that Rich Rod- between Rich Rodriguez and Kevin Sumlin, Arizona's not further along than where they are. I thought they would at least be, you know, Arizona where Arizona State is now or even where Utah is where they could give USC a run. Maybe not every single year, but that they would be a consistent team that you would worry about if you're USC. But it just hasn't happened there, even with a guy like Khalil Tate, who was magic with the ball in his hands. You know, Rich Rod, if he got to stick around longer, I think they could have made some advancements and he had his, his issues. Uh, some, I mean, sometimes he's just not the right fit. And uh, Sumlin and, and Arizona so far hasn't really been the right fit. They had a you know an all-world quarterback and they kind of ruined him. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, there's... You got to make the most of your opportunities. And I think they had a couple years of opportunities there with Khalil Tate and they screwed it up. Shotgun Ulao Lao has a question specifically for you. He says, What group or which group would you say has taken the biggest jump from last year's DBs? From last year, comma, question. He thinks it's DBs. Sorry. Watch I would one. actually go with the defensive line. I expected a lot of the DBs and you know, you got guys with experience with Polamal and Ufunga and you expected some big things from them. But the defensive line, I think Marlon Tui-Pelotu is really taking his game to the next level. That was just one game. We'll see how he progresses the rest of the season. I was really impressed with Nick Figueroa, too. I thought yeah. he had a really good game. And Drake Jackson, you know, he's just a special player, and you saw what he can do on that final play. Just dips his shoulder underneath the, the tackle and hits Jaden Daniels, forcing that throw to come out way sooner than ASU would have, would have hoped for. We have a question from Warren on Facebook who says... Sorry, I lost it. Oh, he has a million-dollar question. He says, do you think USC will stay stagnant this season or will progress throughout the shortened season and possibly make a run at the Pac-12 championship and or national championship? I told Mason and Island today I think they were going to go 6-0. and so Mason Is that why he tweeted excited. about that? Yeah. I was like, where did that come from? Yeah, I was on the show today, and he tweeted that. It's like, inside Troy thinks that – you know, I think it's pretty likely. I think this was the toughest game. You got through it, and, uh, you know, we'll see. Utah's going to be at night. It's going to be – butt-ass cold in that game. So it's going to be really cold. Uh, if it happens. If it happens, it's going to be cold. So that, that could definitely be tough, but it might be Utah's opener too. We don't know. We'll, we should know hopefully more in the next couple of days. But I think it's really likely USC goes undefeated in those six games. Uh, it'll be tough. I think you know Oregon might come out of the North. We'll see who comes out of that. But yeah, I think winning the Pac-12 is definitely uh, more than realistic this year. Making the playoff, you know, there's a lot of – four SEC games got canceled this week. So four of the seven, that's crazy. If there's more of that stuff happening and the Pac-12 kind of handles their business and keep going, then the seven-game schedule won't be as, you know, off compared to everyone else if they have to cancel some games as well. So I think there's some opportunities there. But first, got to win the Pac-12, and I think they got a really good shot to do it this year. I mean, <laughs> if, they, if they get six games in, I think they will continue to progress. I think they will continue to progress throughout the season. How many games they get in is starting to be a big question mark, which yep. is what you're seeing all over the country. Yep. And in that vein, I believe it was Coley who said, what do you guys think about uh, the season? Do you think USC will be able to fit in its whole schedule? I'm being optimistic. I think it's going to happen. Are. You know? I mean, USC has done a really good job of taking care of their business. Yes. The problem is you're relying on five other teams on your schedule to also take care of their business. And you're worrying about the local uh, uh, local ordinances and everything else that are going on. It's, you know, if it was just Will USC and they played all their home games, I would feel I'd feel confident with that. Mm-hmm. However, when you're traveling and, you know, all the other um, different things that can go on, it, it, you know, especially with just the number of cancellations we've seen the last couple of weeks, it, it makes you pause. And I, I, 
don't know if that's going to be going to be the case. Yeah. Adler was asking on YouTube a little bit about if the SEC cancels, will everyone else follow suit? And I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think it's going to be you broke it down into your conferences for a reason. So if the ACC could keep playing or the Pac-12 can keep playing just because the SEC shuts down, I don't think everyone else would shut down. You still want to get that revenue if you can. So as long as you're doing you're not like if you you're like, hey, we're, we we have minimal outbreaks, we're able to play each other. I don't think they would say, well, the SEC shut down, so we got to shut down to whatever conference that is. If the SEC shuts down, I'm just scared what the South looks like because it would have to be apocalyptic for the SEC to shut down. Well, they had four games canceled this weekend. You know, like uh, did, four. they're not shutting down. It's not like they're shutting down the entire weekend or anything. Like, oh, we're just going to take a pause. No, that's not happening. That that I completely agree with Keeley. If the SEC is shutting down then the nation as a whole is probably uh, in a very bad spot with, with COVID-19. Is it like so, zombie apocalypse if that stuff happens? Uh, right. zombie apocalypse, but it just wouldn't be, you know, college football would be something that should be put on the back burner if the SEC doesn't even uh, think they can play. Yeah, because it just means more, guys. Uh, Bobby on Facebook says, it feels like Stephen Carr has nervous feet and, and is not decisive. Is that accurate? He at times hits the hole, but it seems to, he seems to stop and then gets tackled. Oh my God, Keely! Would you please just cut up all the Stephen Carr plays somehow and, and put them out there? <laughs> it's like last year, not this year. Like I mean, year. there were a couple plays in the second half where you could say, "Oh, he looked hesitant." It's because someone is at his feet as soon as he catches the ball. <laughs> like, of course you're going to be hesitant. You're going to try to get away from that guy so you can go try to gain yardage. He made nine guys miss tackles in this game. Did he do that by jump juking every single person? No, he ran through Merlin Robinson on the first play, threw a forearm shiver that completely turned around ASU's best linebacker. Uh, so, you know, don't tell me he's not physical. Um, and, and then he spun off of that and gained like four more yards as someone else tried to tackle him. He, he looked like a beast in this game. And I hope that he continues that as the season progresses and he stays healthy because it looked a lot like freshman year Stephen Carr. And, you know, you don't often say that about a senior that, that it's a good thing that they look like their freshman year. Uh, but he did in this game. I know there are a couple plays in the second half where it's like oh, he had to dance a little bit behind the line of scrimmage. But that was because Arizona State made some adjustments and were trying to get to him before he could get going. You said my name and I thought I was in trouble, but it's the, the <laughs> We had shotgun on tilt there. Crazy. You know? <laughs> Don't tell me I'm on tilt. <laughs> oh, no. Um, Lolo has a question for you, Ryan, who says, do you believe that Tyler V might come back next season for a chance to get a full season on tape to potentially help his draft stock, or will he be just a good college guy? Well, he could come back just to set all the USC records, too. Uh, I'm curious. Like, it. I mean, I think there would be a chance. I, I My guess would be he's going to leave at this point, but... You know, if he doesn't get a great draft, you know, draft grade, and uh, he sees an opportunity one last year with Keaton Slovis, and I don't know, I mean, then maybe he would come back. But that's there's going to be some decisions like that where guys just come back for like their sixth year. You don't even realize, like, wow, that guy's going to still be around. So it's kind of crazy. Um, but I, my guess would be he's going to he's going to leave after this year. But you know, who knows? He doesn't need to get a full season on tape. He, he's yeah. played over two thousand snaps at, at USC, <laughs> so. Uh, he is by far the most tenured current player as far as snap counts go. So there's no reason for him to come back. The only reason he would come back um, is to try to break records, not for draft stock or anything. He's not going to prove anything new to to NFL teams now, I don't think. Or if you just like being in college or if you don't sure. think you're going to have like a you know long NFL career, you're like, yeah, I'm going to play another year of college, work on a master's degree or something. Like there's, a, you know, if, if that's what you like. If, if you see maybe if he sees himself as a, as a real NFL uh, player and or if he's just going to make a camp and 
be on a practice squad and be done with his career and what's to play another year of like big time college football. He could do that too. Um, you know, I'm going to wrap it up here, guys, unless there's a burning question shotgun that you want to get to. Um, there was a, you allow, allow add another question about, do you see this new and improved arm strength or improved strength for Slovis? Also, maybe just me or did his release change, uh, his arm slot change and it, the ball didn't come out clean. Now, why that is, that's, that's a good question. I did think that I have seen, you know, just having, having seen him, uh, he is thicker than he was last year rather than, but, but I don't know about the arm strength itself there. Um, so I'm curious to see how the ball comes out this week because maybe he did make some subtle adjustments and, you know, there were some issues, whether it was the wet ball or something, the mist in the air, whatever it could have been, but the ball wasn't coming out clean the other night, other day. Alrighty. Any final thoughts, gentlemen? Oh, wait. Hello. It's a Wednesday, which means we got to do game predictions. Yeah. Everyone's favorite thing. <laughs> How do you think this one's going to go? Away game at Arizona. Ryan Abraham, give us your thoughts. Haven't thought about this for one second, so let's just pull it up and you know the top of my head. Uh, so USC's favored by 14 in this one. I think the Chargers are going to score some more points, but I think Arizona's going to, too. Uh, I think they can you know, control the ball a little bit on the ground. So I think it's going to be like a a 10-point win. I'm going to go 40-30 uh, USC. 40-30. 30 points. Whew. I don't see. Maybe uh, if, if More Arizona. More than ASU? Sorry. Yeah. If Arizona scores 30 points, then USC will put up at least a 50-burger. Um, wow. I, I think they win this burger. one by minimum 17 points, probably three scores, probably like 45-21 or something like that, 45-17. We'll I think see. it's a blowout. I th- that's why I, I just don't think that defense is very good on Arizona's side. Hmm. What did I say last week? Can I just apply last week's score to this week? Because I was forty-two twenty-one. Let's say forty-two seventeen USC. All right. How about that? That ensures that it's going to be like eleven twelve somehow or something. I don't know. It's going to be a weird score. I would like to point out that I predicted twenty-eight twenty-four last week, so I wasn't too far off. You get your gold. It's gold star shot. I think I said thirty-five thirty-one or Nailed something. It. I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah. Well. We'll see. Keep us honest. And you can on Sunday. We'll be breaking down the game. Uh, the whole crew will be back. So, uh, and people are putting their predictions in the, the side chat. So I'll screenshot that and hold you guys accountable as well. Not just us. Alrighty. That's going to wrap it up. Uh, that's Shotgun. That's Ryan. I'm Keely. We'll see y'all on Sunday. Bye. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.